Welcome to Areski's podcast, where we discuss the present, the past, and maybe the future of North Africa and the Sahel region. My name is Areski Daoud, and I am principal analyst at Mea Risk LLC, and I'm also the founder and editor of the North Africa Journal. Now, join me every week for a new episode that addresses the root causes of instability in the region and beyond, and let's see if we can find solutions to complex crises. Welcome again. Have you ever wondered what position smaller countries in the world have taken in regard to the Russian war in Ukraine? Well, let's have a look at three of them today, Tuesday, October the 11th, 2022. Now, the Maghreb's biggest uh, nations and regional rivals, Algeria and Morocco, so far have refrained from choosing a side in the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. For its part, Tunisia has had ambivalent position due to a number of factors, which we will cover in a moment. In general, though, these nations have had no intention on openly supporting one or the other party in the conflict and have assumed some level of neutrality based on multiple geopolitical factors. Now, broadly speaking, and setting aside Ukraine as a sovereign nation, North African states generally see the conflict as one that opposes Russia, an extension of what used to be the Soviet Union, against the West, a group of nations that encompasses uh, Western Europe and the United States. In some way, they see the conflict as a, a continuation of the Cold War that pitted the USSR to the United States. Other major factors, such as North Africa's proximity to a neighborhood with Western Europe, the developing gas market, Russia's military weight and its uh, growing economic influence on the region are among the many factors that have been weighing on the decision makers in, in North Africa and on how to deal with this thorny conflict. Now, the early sign of a Maghreb position on the war in Ukraine came on March the 2nd, 2022, when the United Nations General Assembly adopted a resolution demanding the withdrawal of Russian forces and the immediate end, quote, the immediate end, uh, unquote, of the uh, use of force in Ukrainian soil. The examination of the North African vote on this non-binding text was rather surprising on, on many levels. Algeria, a traditional ally of the former USSR and a major buyer of Russian arms, was one of the 35 states that abstained from voting. Many expected it to be among the four other nations that opposed the resolution, namely North Korea, Belarus, Eritrea, and Syria, in addition, of course, to Russia itself. For its part, Morocco, despite being a loyal partner of the European Union and the United States, and hence expected to endorse the resolution, had simply avoided participating in the ballot. Its representatives did not show up. As for Tunisia, it, it sacrificed its uh, usual diplomatic prudence by joining its voice to 140 nations, uh, having voted in favor of the text. A few days later, that's exactly on March the 24th, the same pattern repeated itself concerning a resolution presented by Kiev on the humanitarian consequences of the aggression against Ukraine. Abstention by Algeria, non-participation by Morocco, and yes, vote for Tunisia. 
So the simple question now is why each of these three Maghreb nations voted the way they did? After all, isn't that a, a clear-cut case of a country staging a military aggression against another foreign nation? Isn't Algeria arguing that Morocco should not annex the Western Sahara and yet it says nothing against Russia when the latter is doing exactly that same thing? Isn't Morocco's interest in fully taking over the Western Sahara and yet it has not fully cheerled for Russia? What about Tunisia? Why the need to cheer for Ukraine with which it has virtually zero trade? Well, none of that is simple to explain. There's a lot of shades of gray in how these countries position their responses. Now, and let's go through some of that. Now, in the case of Algeria, the country's diplomats and above all the military establishment argue in favor of their desire and necessity not to take sides in, in the conflict that does not concern the country directly. Their discourse and public positions include a narrative that talks about, and I'm quoting here, commitment to peace and the search for a negotiated solution, end of quote. One would think that it would make sense for Algeria to support Russia due to its historic ties with Moscow, but the Algerian position is somewhat influenced by the fact that it has been leading the so-called Arab contact group, a sort of mediation unit on behalf of the Arab world, and which also includes Egypt, Iraq, Jordan, Sudan, and the Secretary General of the Arab League. Now, taking sides would have been detrimental to Algeria's desire to be part of the Arab contact group. In early April, a delegation led by the Algerian Foreign Minister Ramtan Mamra met uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, uh, that is in Moscow, and Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitro Kuliba in Warsaw. Now, the result of these consultations is a support for, and I'm quoting here, direct negotiations between the two parties in the conflict. When questioned, a senior Algerian official put forward the concept of pragmatic neutrality, a pragmatism that takes into account a major reality that Algeria has a significant military cooperation with Russia, and angering Moscow would break the balance of power in North Africa between Algeria and its rival to the West, Morocco. Between 2017 and 2021, 81% of the deliveries of arms and defense equipment to the Algerian army and to the security forces were provided by Moscow. That's enough to modernize equipment and allow Algiers to have the military capacity to stage operations in all of North Africa the Sahel and part of the of southern Europe. At the same time, uh, Ukraine is not an important trading partner of Algeria. Although the Algerian serial company OAIC has been considering since 2019 important Ukrainian wheat uh, to important amounts of Ukrainian wheat to reduce its purchases from France, uh, but that, that didn't happen. In a country where defense weighs nearly 7% of the GDP, of the gross domestic product, it's therefore impossible to fall out with Moscow without weakening Algeria's defense capabilities. An acceptable prospect for the regime in Algeria is when the tension with Morocco is at its highest since 2020. But at the same time, the sense of reality forces Algeria to consider its own regional concerns and those of its Western economic partners. Regionally, Algeria does not want to be seen as endorsing a Russia-led takeover of a sovereign nation, while it has been adamant that Morocco should not take over 
the Western Sahara. A different position would have been extremely contradictory and would have allowed or would allow Morocco to use this as a gotcha moment. With uh, Western Europe, in particular France, Italy and Spain, it's also about energy and trade. These countries, uh, after all, are among Algeria's main gas buyers and suppliers of capital goods. Hence the abstention at the UN rather than adopting a frankly pro-Russian position similar to those of Syria or Eritrea was essentially meant to neutralize any adverse reaction from, from Morocco or from Southern Europe. In a context marked by the multiplication of Western, Western sanctions against uh, Moscow, uh, the Algerian authorities have been uh, insisting on every occasion that their country is a reliable supplier of gas to the European market. That's what led on April the 11th to the conclusion of an agreement between Algiers and Rome, that is Algeria and Italy, uh, for the supply of an additional 9 billion cubic meters of natural gas. This loyal and responsible energy supplier card put forward by Algeria, therefore, allows it to compensate for its refusal to comply with more or less pressing calls from Westerners who would like to see it move away from Russians. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken on March 30th, Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi on April the 11th, and French Foreign Minister Jean-Yves Le Drian back in April 13 made the trip to Algiers to, to, to put pressure. So did Al French President Emmanuel Macron, and, and that was enough for Algiers to feel that it has dodged a difficult moment uh, had it had taken side in the Ukrainian war. On the other hand, to avoid irritating the Kremlin, Algeria felt it needed to give Russia something to keep it quiet. On April 8th at the UN, uh, Algeria voted against a General Assembly resolution excluding Russia from the U Human Rights Council. On April 18, the Algerian state news agency, APS, reported that President Abdelmajid Taboun and Vladimir Putin have had a phone conversation in which they expressed their satisfaction with the progress made in bilateral cooperation in all areas, end of quote. In an effort to counter the, the West's charm offensive on, on Algeria, on May 10, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, also went to Algiers to sign what they call a new document, serving as a basis for the bilateral relations, inviting President Taboun to visit Moscow. Now, in Morocco, the situation is a bit different, but there's also a lot of similar difficult balancing acts. There's a joke among many Moroccans that says, and I'm quoting here, every time there is a vote, our ambassador is blocked in the elevator or in the bathroom. End of quote. Well, setting aside jokes uh, on that, Rabat has also drawn criticism from Western diplomats like uh, Pika Hivonen, the Finnish ambassador who, via a tweet on March the 24th, regretted the, the absence of the Moroccan vote at the UN. He said, Mauritania voted for the humanitarian resolution, Morocco was absent, as in the vote which condemned the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. History will show that justice will prevail." End of quote. That obviously provoked uh, the ire of many Moroccans, forcing the ambassador to delete his message. On March the 2nd, the date of the first UN resolution demanding the withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukraine, a press release from the Moroccan Ministry of Foreign Affairs insisted 
that the absence of a vote should not give rise to any interpretation. The kingdom recalled its, quote, strong attachment to respect for the territorial integrity, sovereignty, and national unity of all United Nations members. And its diplomats insisted on sovereign decisions of their country and on the fact that it would make a financial contribution to the humanitarian efforts of the UN in the future. In the process, several officials put forward the idea of positive neutrality, taking above all into account the strategic interests of Morocco. Now, despite the traditional pro-Western stance of Morocco, Rabat is clearly in no position to alienate Russia uh, for at least two reasons. The first concerns the Western Sahara conflict. For Morocco, it's essential to prevent Moscow from fully supporting the Algerian position. Admittedly, Sergei Lavrov has repeated on several occasions that his country is against any unilateral measure concerning the resolution of the conflict between the Polisario Front and Morocco. And Russia says it does not intend to imitate the United States, which under Donald Trump has announced its support to the Moroccan position on the Sahara. But what Moroccan diplomacy does not want is a direct Russian support for an Algerian initiative which would attempt to relaunch the UN process for settling the conflict by means of a referendum on self-determination for the Sahrawi peoples, uh, or a vote from Moscow against an alternative proposal that Morocco hopes one day it would be adopted by the UN to ratify its complete takeover of the Sahara. Clearly for Rabat, as in all and any foreign policy issue, its position in, in the Russian war in Ukraine is analyzed through the prism of the Western Sahara conflict. For it, it is a question of not throwing the Russians into the arms of the Algerians and the Polisario Front. Then there is the economy. Since the beginning of the 2000s, globalization has essentially upset the trade balances of Morocco while the Maghreb has long been uh, the domain of, of the West, particularly France, when it comes to, to the economy and to trade. The entire region has greatly diversified, however, its sources of supply and continues to look for, near and far, different alternatives of goods and services. Over the years, Russia has thus become an essential supplier of raw materials from, from Morocco. In this country, where the agricultural sector represents 14% of the gross domestic product, it's impossible to do without Russian organic and mineral fertilizers. Ditto for metals, for food products, for commercial vehicles, for paper pulp or petrochemicals. Excluding armaments, Morocco is one of Russia's largest trading partners, with the latter posting a surplus of about $780 million in bilateral trade. It is, it is therefore difficult to alienate such a supplier whose products are considered all the more essential to the industrial diversification of the Kingdom of Morocco, as they are less expensive than those of Western competition. And too bad if that offends Ukraine, which, as in the Algerian case, is only in its infancy when it comes to its commercial efforts in the Maghreb, particularly in terms of the supply of cereals and food products. Aware of this problem, President Zelensky of the Ukraine recently dismissed uh, Oksana Vasilyeva, his country's ambassador to Morocco.
And he said, there are those who work so that Ukraine can defend itself and fight for its future. And there are those who waste their time changing or sorry, clinging to their position. I signed a first decree to recall such a person, the ambassador to Morocco, said the Ukrainian president in a video message posted on March the 30th. Morocco came under pressure from the United States to be more aggressive against Russia. Wendy Sherman, U.S. Under Secretary of State and Anthony Blinken both visited Rabat at the end of March 2022, but that did little to change the situation. The Moroccan interlocutors did not concede anything concerning the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, rather focusing their talks on how much progress was made in the relations between Morocco and Israel. Now, for its part, Tunisia has had a sort of a different trajectory and initially sided with the Western camp, a decision, a decision that was not unanimous in the ranks of the diplomatic establishment in Tunis, where such decisions are often the, the result of a consensus. A former foreign minister recently said, I'm quoting, we should have waited, even procrastinate, as other African countries have done before deciding in this way. He continues to say, we have as much to lose with the Russians as with the West, end quote. The diplomat said at least an abstention or even an absence from the vote, as did Morocco, would have been a better outcome. However, what made Tunisia move fast in this anti-Russian stance are its financial and economic troubles that uh, have been accumulating since uh, 2011. Not to mention the political uncertainty that prevails after the current president, Ais Said, made major changes in governance on July the 25th, 2021. Such fragile position easily opens the way to external pressures. For most Tunisians on the streets, the, the fact that their country voted twice against Russia is a, is a direct consequence of its ongoing negotiations with the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, in a context where the country is struggling to make ends meet. The United States has Tunis in its sight. In September, a U.S. State Department official Ned Price called on Tunisian President Qais Saeed to lead a quote-unquote transparent and inclusive reform process. On April 27th, after Anthony Blinken ostensibly ignored Tunis during his North African trip, Ned Price repeated that the United States was deeply concerned by the Tunisian president's decision to unilaterally restructure Tunisia's independent high authority for elections, and that his country has continued to communicate to Tunisian leaders the importance of maintaining the independence of key democratic institutions and ensuring Tunisia return to democratic governance. Knowing the influence of the United States within the board of directors of the IMF, it's easy to understand that the Tunisian authorities preferred not to stand out uh, on the on, on the on, on Russian-Ukrainian case. Yet Tunisia did abstain from voting for the resolution to exclude Russia from the UN U Human Rights Council. Here, pressure did not come from Moscow or Russia, whose leaders seemed to take little interest in Tunis, but from the Algerian neighbor on whom President Said relies heavily financially. For Algeria's Convincing Tunis to adopt a more balanced position is a demonstration of its influence in the region and a way to strengthen its credit vis-a-vis -vis Moscow. 
mid-March, Tunisian social networks, uh, the internet essentially, relayed a copy of a handwritten letter, allegedly, written by Kais Said, allegedly sent to her, the, the Algerian, his Algerian counterpart, the Majid Taboun, asking him to intervene with the Russians to plead the Tunisian cause and explain that his diplomacy had no choice but to vote in favor of the March 2nd resolution. Obviously, the Tunisian government immediately denounced a forgery and called for the opening of an investigation for breach of national security. It's, uh, quote, it's definitely a fake truth, assured a former minister, whether that whatever that means. Uh, while Tunis um, absolutely needs an agreement with the IMF to balance its budget, the economic consequences of the war between Ukraine and Russia are not negligible. As with Algeria and Morocco, the balance leans more towards Moscow, which supplies the hydrocarbons and the petrochemical products that Tunisia needs, while Ukraine mainly supplies cereal. With imports from the Black Sea being suspended, the Tunisian authorities initially really counted on India to, to supplement um, those cereals, but the heat wave which is raging in India has already destroyed part of the harvest there. Europe and France in particular constitute a possible solution in terms of grain supply and this would help to ward off the, the risk of bread riots feared by many Tunisians who draw a parallel with the end of the 2000s. It remains to be seen whether these possible deliveries will not be accompanied by political conditions and the obligation to adopt a sanction against Russia. A prospect that hardly enchants the, the tourism sector in Tunisia, which has been hard hit by the two years of the COVID-19 pandemic, and which initially feared that the closure of the land border with Algeria would not be lifted in time to allow the millions of Algerians uh, to spend their holidays there. Well, the good news is that the land border has been reopened and millions of Algerians have vacationed in Tunisia this summer. But frustration over the absence of uh, Russian tourists is still there. Until the end of April, uh, hotels still hoped that 600,000 Russians would uh, save the summer season, but the exclusion of Russia from the SWIFT payment network meant Russian tourists could not visit Tunisia. Tunisia also has not been allowed to use Russian payment instruments such as MIR at the risk of contra contravening the sanctions imposed on Moscow, but by the European Union and above all the United States, uh, counting on Russian tourists for the time being has been out of the question for Tunis. While Maghreb governments are careful not to take a clear-cut position in favor of Russia or Ukraine and, and, and its Western support, public opinion seems much less hesitant. Apart from the few notable exceptions, public support for Kiev is very rare. The argument of respect for international law hardly hits the mark. The speeches heard or, or read all converge towards the denunciation of double standards. What you hear goes along these lines. Quote, why should we be moved by the invasion of Ukraine when that of Iraq in 2003 has never been condemned by the international community? What about the other ongoing conflicts in which entire populations are being punished but no Western politician seems to care?" End of quote. The war in Ukraine is revealing. It reveals Arab opinions that 
uh, do not hide their resentment towards a West deemed to give lessons in practicing double talk, including when it welcomes Ukrainian refugees with open arms while neglecting the, the fate of Syrians, Afghans, Kurds, Somalis, and even sends some of them back to Rwanda, for example. Admittedly, polls are rare, if non-existent, but the examination of what is published and shared in Arabic, as in French, uh, on the main social networks, in particular Facebook and Twitter, is sometimes revealing of general sentiments. The thesis of Russia waging war on quote-unquote Nazis is often used to justify the invasion of Ukraine. The historical argument of Vladimir Putin arguing that this country, that is Ukraine, never existed are also relayed. Russia is suddenly adorned with old virtues, that is how the crimes of its army during the two wars in Chechnya, a Muslim land, are forgotten or rewritten in the light of the necessary fight against jihadism. Ukraine's low-key engagement in the Arab world is also a reason why there is not enough uh, sympathy for the, from the Arab streets to the plight of the Ukrainian people. Since its independence, Ukraine has been naturally occupied with its rapprochement with, with the European Union and de deconstructing its turbulent relations with Russia. As such, Ukraine has had no time to pay attention to its relations with the Maghreb specifically and more generally with the Arab world as well, with the exception of the fascination exerted on, on its nationals by Dubai and to a lesser degree the tourism resorts of Sharm el-Sheikh and, and Sinai of Egypt. Putin's Russia, for its part, is seen as a major adversary of the West for which for which much of the trouble in the Middle East is blamed on. Never mind that it does not actually represent any political alternative as the former USSR once did. What does it matter that the Russian way of life is hardly attractive, even if several hundred North African students have been able to enroll in Russian universities for lack of opportunities elsewhere? So in fact, the Arab street does not care for Russia either. But what counts as a journalist from Radio Tunis said recently, is that the West has a solid rival, which the Arab street would endorse just to create a sort of balance. Finally, let me say that, by the way, the narratives from the leaders of the three Maghreb countries do not seek to modify their perception. There is really no trace of empathy for the Ukrainian people in Maghreb political speech, and above all, the Russian invasion is never clearly condemned. In fact, if it were, that would reinforce the pro-Russian feeling. In this context, defending the Ukrainian people is not easy in much of the Arab world. Since mid-April, an appeal from several Arab journalists and intellectuals has been circulating in several languages calling for support for the Ukrainians without calculation or reserve. The plea has has been widely and harshly criticized on social media, some of its detractors uh, going so far as to present it as a pro-NATO manifesto. Thank you for listening. Until our next talk, goodbye. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast series, please visit mea-risk.com audio. That is mea-risk.com audio.
app-risk.com slash audio to find out more. If you are interested in a six-month trial for our critical incident awareness and notification system, please visit shield-alert.com. That is shield-alert.com. Until our next podcast, thank you and goodbye.